0: find out why one of Canada's top mortgage brokers says you should always go variable when you're getting a mortgage. Coming up on today's episode. Welcome to the True True Condos Podcast Podcast. with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show for the first time, Dustin Woodhouse. Uh, Dustin is a mortgage broker based in Vancouver, one of the top mortgage brokers in Canada. Dustin, it's great to have you here.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Happy to be on the
0: show. Great. Um, I've seen some of your stuff online. I followed you a little bit and, and obviously I just know of you as a person in the mortgage industry, even though we're in different cities here. But um wanted to have you on the show in particular because you just posted this fantastic video uh with uh recently about the fixed versus variable debate, um, which is just a question we, you know, we're constantly coming back to. Um as uh you know in this business and dealing with buyers um so i wanted to talk about that today but before we get into that um maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself like how did you get started in uh in this business
1: i uh, know well, i got into this business in 2008 uh, just as uh you know the world was going through its massive economic meltdown so you know when there's a financial crisis it just seems uh, like the logical move to get into the financial services industry right? Of course, <laughs> um, you know, which is obviously a sign that there there wasn't really a necessarily a macro plan in place. It was more it was more a matter of having a number number of people around me in my life saying, "You should be a broker. You should be a broker," and including my wife, some good friends, and uh, and a couple influential people in the industry who, uh, well, who people who I knew who. Later, I discovered were were rather influential and significant in the
0: industry. So, what were you what were you doing at the time then before this? Before
1: so, I had act mortgages. Uh, I, I call it act. Brokering is then act two, and uh, act one, uh, act three is uh, yet, yet to be named. We'll see we'll see where life takes me. Um, but I'm, I'm still, still in the in deep in act two right now. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, but Act One was actually running a mail order, high performance, uh, automotive parts business. So all those, uh, low, loud Volkswagens and whatnot back in, the, the late 80s or 90s, uh, those were mainly, I was to blame for a lot of those. A lot of, actually had a lot of clients in Toronto as well. So, Interesting. Or if you knew somebody that drove a cool looking Volkswagen in the, especially in the mid to late 90s. Okay. Um, I, I I probably had shift them apart or two
0: yeah. at some point I know a few of those I know a few of those um, that's a completely different business absolutely so I'm curious and why like why were people telling you the mail order automotive parts guy you should become a mortgage broker
1: Well, part of it was because I had done things like uh and get myself incorporated when I was twenty years old, bought my first Property, it was a commercial strata unit, uh, when I was, uh, 19. We wrote the offer when I was 19 and closed when I was 20. Um, and then bought a few rental properties. I mean, we bought a, a condo downtown Vancouver and a pre-sale. Totally ridiculous. I mean, the market clearly overheated in a bubble. We paid $97,000. You know, what were we thinking to, to pay that money for 400 square feet down in Gastown? Very, very foolish. Uh, a few years later, we also bought a, um, a house uh, out mm-hmm. in the suburbs. Again, I mean, we paid $168,000 for that detached house. Obviously, just a huge mistake, right? I mean, the same type of mistakes people are making today because all the signs were there. I mean, we bought that house from a woman who had paid $42,000 for it 11 years earlier. It have gone up 400% in 11 years. Like, clearly, it couldn't go any higher. I mean... Well, what do you think about it who can afford a house for hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars
0: sensing some sensing some serious sarcasm here?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and, and you know what this will segue quite nicely and so you know having done all these things um, I had a lot of people asking me uh, a lot of questions about property and structuring their business and buying rentals and and so I was always happy to share my my experiences and uh and, and those experiences included, ironically enough, because as I say it is and but I didn't realize it was setting up a segue back to your opening comment on fixed versus variable. But of course, you know, in nineteen ninety five when we bought that house, um, of course we locked into a five year fixed because rates were under ten percent. Clearly they were going right back up over over ten percent any second. So thank goodness we were able to lock in at I think it was seven and a quarter percent. Um Phew, what a what a great move. And eighteen months later, when we discovered that our first child was on the way and uh, you know, don't know how that happened, right? But anyway, uh we we'd realized that this six hundred square foot one bedroom house we bought uh maybe wasn't gonna be ideal. So you get that nesting urge going. So we decided we needed to sell that house and buy a bigger house. And business was taking off at the time, and things were going in the right direction. So we could afford to to level up a little bit, Uh, a lot sooner than we had anticipated, but that's the way it goes. So we went to the bank to port our mortgage. You know, mortgages, is my mortgage portable? People always ask this, and, and to this day I say, yeah, but so what? Uh, you know, I think it's fewer than 1% of mortgages in Canada are ported from one property to another. So you know, 99% of mortgages are portable, but but who cares? Because you're not going to port it anyway. There's always a reason. So in our case, the problem was the house we were buying was on uh, well water. And the bank that had our first mortgage on the first house didn't like well water. So they would not move our mortgage to that new home. So they left us with no choice but to break that mortgage and go find one somewhere else. And when we broke that mortgage, I mentioned $168,000. So we'd put about $8,500 down on that property. Our prepayment penalty was $6,400. Almost our entire down payment was gone 18 months later in a penalty to, to this bank and I'm like well wh- where is that written down like where's that number where Where do you show us that that was going to happen and of course to this day no banker that I've ever had a client work with has ever explained to them prepayment penalties how they work dollarized it for them right on the opening conversation it never happens. never happens right I bought a 200 page book uh I won't even give you the title because I don't want anyone to go seek the book out because like, it's 30 years out of date. Uh, but I bought a 200-page book at the time on mortgages written by a mortgage broker. I read that book cover to cover. I went back to the bank. I understood how to calculate interest rate differential penalties much, much better than the person I was dealing with at the bank. So they were trying to move us into something else. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not going to work either. Here's the math, and I'm doing all the math. And in the end, it's the only 25 years. Everyone should have been variable. Right in you know, the, the the majority of people, I'm sure if you pulled all the actual documents up, you'd find the majority of people in the early 80s when those interest rates shot up into the double digits, who lost their homes, weren't so much people in variable rate mortgages. Absolutely, some people got burned in a variable rate mortgage. But who really got hurt were the people that locked in the five years of 14, 15, 17, 18, 20% because a year later, rates had fallen back down below 12. So if you're in the variable and you made it through that 12 to 18 months of of horror, things normalized after that. Whereas if you locked in to one of these higher rates the whole way through, not only were you getting beat up on the payment every month for years, the penalty to get out was huge. So to, to dollarize things for the listeners, typically speaking in today's market, uh, for every $100,000, well, I'll give you a percentage and then I'll give you dollars. So a variable rate mortgage, if you break that early, which statistically uh, right now, two out of three Canadians will break their mortgage early. They'll break it around the three-year mark, on average. Two out of three mortgage holders will break that mortgage early. Wow. They'll sell, they'll refinance. People always say, well, why would I break my mortgage? I'm like, well, it's a laundry list of reasons. And of course, when you have a, a newlywed sitting across from you, you don't want to say, well, six out of ten marriages end in divorce. Um but, You know, we don't have a newlywed couple sitting across from us right now, Andrew, so I'm going to be a little more factual. Um, 96% of businesses will not make it 10 years. So if you have a couple sitting across from me who just got married and they each are running their own businesses, there's no way they're making it five years through a mortgage. I mean, one of those businesses is not going to survive five years. The marriage may or may not survive. Like, and and of course, as one thing creates stress in life, it it affects everything else in life. So there's a multitude of different reasons, but the reality has been two out of three Canadians breaking their mortgage in an average of three years. Most of them triggering a prepayment penalty they had no idea was coming, because if you're in a long-term fixed-rate mortgage with a major financial institution, you're looking at Typically four and a half percent of the balance. So $4,500 per hundred thousand. And, uh, that's a big number. Right? I mean, yeah, a typical mortgage in Canada is $400,000. So right. $18,000 prepayment penalty. And I guarantee there are people listening right now going, yeah, that's, that's almost exactly what we paid. It's like, yeah, we got hit with that. There's a few other people going, well, no, we broke ours. Our, I think our penalty was only like five or six thousand. And those are people who probably didn't have their mortgage with a chartered bank or the majority of credit unions. They probably had uh, their mortgage placed with what we call a, a mortgage finance company. Uh, I'll, I'll stay non-denominational. I won't name any different companies. But mortgage finance companies play a, a fundamental role in the mortgage market in Canada. And they, they only take triple A clients. They're very, very selective. They take the cream of the crop. But they do have a little bit friendlier Prepayment penalties on on fixed rate mortgages, but here's the difference you're in a variable rate mortgage that penalty is a half a percent of the balance so, well, pardon me, that's changed a little bit with prime having changed and whatnot I, I should correct myself it's about three quarters of a percent of the balance so zero point seven five so about seven hundred and fifty dollars per hundred thousand so on that four thousand four hundred thousand dollar mortgage. You can have an $18,000 penalty or you can have a $3,000 penalty. And, and there are certain lenders that you have to watch out for where they have in the fine print that their variable rate mortgage has a 12-month interest penalty, not a three-month. But again, 95% of lenders uh, have a three-month interest penalty. That's it in a variable rate mortgage. And again, a whole bunch of listeners are going, no, no, my five-year fix, it's only a three-month interest penalty too. It's like, no, no. There's a comma after that, not a period. It says three months' interest or the greater of. And and then it lists this term called interest rate differential, which of course, you know.
0: Nobody knows what it means, yeah.
1: uh, The the financial services industry is a lot like uh, the the medical industry, right? They make up a lot of big, confusing words for for really simple concepts. And uh, it's unfortunate that our government allows contracts to be written you know using such arcane language i use the word arcane purposely like what the hell does arcane mean exactly <laughs>
0: right. yeah yeah interesting yeah so we're getting a lot of value here already uh from you dustin just getting into the whole subject of um of breaking mortgages and, and another topic which comes up a lot uh as well with me talking to clients all the time and people just not realizing like you said just the basic math of a mortgage because nobody's going over it with them. Um, and we're going to get into the fixed variable thing, but before we do that, um just curious you being based in Vancouver, most of your business, I assume is, is in Vancouver. Um, what are you seeing in the market there? Obviously you are an active uh, real estate buyer and investor yourself. Like what, how would you describe the market in Vancouver right now?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the, the upward pressure on rents is uh, intense. So, Rents are steadily climbing. Uh, not not a lot of availability for rental product uh, because, uh, well, again, I mean, we still have tens of thousands of people flowing into the Lower Mainland every year, and they all need somewhere to live. And uh, and what a lot of people don't understand is they'll say, oh, but there's a crane on every block. I mean, they're overbuilding. Well, no, for that crane to actually go up on that block. They have to typically, the builder has to have typically pre-sold 65% of the units in that building before they're able to get the financing to put a shovel in the ground. So by the time you see a building rising up out of the ground, it's typically 75, 80, 85, 90% pre-sold at worst. I mean, we still have situations here where people are lining up overnight just a few weeks ago. Uh, there's a, a tower, uh, in Burnaby that sold out. People lined up overnight. I think it was actually two nights before to get in there to pay thirteen hundred square per square foot.
0: Thirteen hundred dollars a square foot in Burnaby.
1: In Burnaby, with about a half an hour east of downtown Vancouver. Wow. And and so
0: what are what are you looking at? What are you looking at in downtown Vancouver per, for price per square foot right now? Well, for a new build.
1: Yeah, for a new build, you're, you're, you're pushing 1500 a foot as well. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, there's, there's the outliers that, of course, that the media likes to write about of the, you know, the 2000 square foot buildings and this sort of thing, but those are ultra high end buildings. Uh, I mean, you, you can still find a lot on the market for around a thousand a foot. Uh, there, there are still a number of units available for a thousand a foot, oh, older units, typically resale type product. Um which, you know, again, to pay four hundred thousand for four hundred square feet uh, at the beginning I mentioned we bought a loft in Gastown for four hundred square feet for ninety seven thousand, right? I mean that's and that was deemed to be crazy at the time. Right. But the numbers still work. And it it's still I know it sounds totally heretical to say this, but the market still makes sense. On product under a million, and that that's really we have two markets uh, here in Vancouver, and i 'm sure it's very much the same in Toronto uh, what we're seeing in the stats is is a tale of two markets, and that 's been created uh, unbeknownst to most people by the federal government. The federal government has uh, put a limit a price point of one million dollars in for insured mortgages or uninsured mortgages, so you have to have twenty percent down plus To buy a million dollar plus property, there's no flexibility, not 19%, not 18%, you have to have 20%. And what, what that has done combined with the far more stringent qualification criteria to qualify for mortgage money, you know, again, to dollarize that for listeners, a hundred thousand dollar income if you were buying a house with a basement suite that had, you know, good rents and again we're in a 1% vacancy market for 30 years. 1% vacancy in the rental market for 30 years running. So that basement suite is going to be rented out. Um, using the suite income and the $100,000 household income, you could push mortgage qualification as high as $800,000. Uh today that's been cut back to 500. Now people might argue that 800 was way too much money for a $100,000-a-year a year household. Uh, mind you keep in mind, that basement suite would have been renting for about 1500 in that equation. So that wow. takes care of over $300,000 of mortgage money uh, in, in the real world. But at this point, as I say, that same $100,000 household has been cut back to closer to 500000 And I think the argument can be made that that's a little too far in the opposite direction, uh, you know. Like very, most clients now feel like logic has, has left the equation. Uh, so what we're seeing, as I say, is under a million. The market still multiple offers, condition free. You know, it, 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 it's crazy. You know, you're still seeing things go over ask in a day. Um, you know, 107 people going through a. a house listed for eight hundred and fifty thousand when you can find that house and poof they're gone. Um so yeah the multifamily uh, which is my, my mainly what you're buying in our market under a million is a townhouse or a condo. Um very, very strong. Uh, over a million, it just cools right off. And then go past one point five million and it's ice cold
0: how do you see how do you see this playing out? We're seeing yeah it's almost the exact same story we're seeing here in Toronto for the reasons you mentioned. How do you see this playing out in the long term under let's say the scenario where this stress test and everything stays as is? How do you see it playing out and then what if like one day the stress test and everything just vanished what How would you see the market react
1: uh you mean when there's a political change potentially <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think the, the one day is probably going to involve a, a federal election, most likely. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, three, four years ago, uh, maybe even further back, uh, I was asked, and I've been asked multiple times since, what what I saw is the number one risk for the Canadian housing market, the number one risk for the GTA, the GVA, you know, where where is the danger? And I've always said... The Government is the danger they will overregulate us into a recession. They somehow seem to fail to understand how significant a role housing plays in our economy i mean a four hundred thousand dollar uh, condo one hundred thousand dollars of that price is tax it's municipal provincial right. federal tax twenty five cents on the dollar. Yeah. If the government really wanted to do something about affordable housing, maybe they could waive.
0: They have the biggest lever. Yeah, they have the biggest lever in the in the yeah in the universe. It's they they can control it, but instead they they do the opposite. They just they tax it more.
1: Yeah, they could literally roll prices back twenty five percent overnight on housing if they felt that housing was important for Canadians. Uh, they could find their tax somewhere else, roll it back. And uh, you know, poof, there, poof, there you go, twenty-five percent reduction in housing. So, as I say, I've always said that government overregulation is the biggest uh, concern, and it seems that we are absolutely moving that way at this point. I mean, it's it's crystal clear. You know, the, 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 the meddling that they have, uh, and they have been been doing. It's it's just as I say. Uh, well, you can hear I'm, I'm kind of first time in this conversation. I'm struggling for words. Like it's just mind blowing how detached from reality they are. I mean, we're in a market with a zero point two four percent arrears rate. That's not foreclosure. that's arrears. That's people who've missed two mortgage payments in a row, zero point two four percent it's It's as low as it's ever been during the real economic crisis, We, we went all the way to zero point four one. In the U.S., they went to 10% foreclosure. Right. Right. 10% actual, like, foreclosure. Right. 0.41 arrears. If you're at 0.41 arrears, your foreclosure rate is probably a quarter of that number. Like, it's always been very low. Canadians do not miss mortgage payments. And, and actually, that, that line right there was delivered by CMHC's, uh, uh chair in a parliamentary, uh, testimony. And and he said, that's the problem. It's an interesting clip. I I, I really wish I'd saved it. I should really search it out one day in in my spare time, which I don't have too much of. But I will paraphrase, but I think I'm going to be within a few words of quoting him when I say the biggest concern that the government actually has right now is that precisely Canadians don't miss mortgage payments. So, in other words, the government is concerned that Canadians are getting themselves into these bigger mortgages that they'll never miss a payment on. So, there won't be any you know, foreclosure crisis or anything like that, but we may go through some economic contraction and all of our money will go towards making our mortgage payments and we won't be out there buying a new refrigerator. That's the example he used. We won't be out there buying new fridges. We won't be out there... Buying new TVs, going, you know, to the restaurant and spending $200 on dinner. And that impacts the overall economy. And, and he spoke to that, you know, their, their concern is not just housing. Their concern is the national economy. But as I say, I really feel like a lot of what they've done is now going, they've done so much uh, and multiple levels of government have done different things. Uh, you know we've got a vacant home tax in the city of Vancouver. We have the foreign buyer tax in outlying areas. And by the way, a foreign buyer—you understand that you're a foreign buyer, Andrew. If you wanted to buy a place in Kelowna, Lake Country, about three and a half, four, four hours east of Vancouver, right. uh, You would be a foreign buyer. In fact, if your um, parents, grandparents, great grandparents had bought a lot on the lake there for 10 bucks and built a little family cabin and had been in your family for four generations. Well, guess what? It's now foreign-owned because you don't live in B.C. and you don't report tax in B.C. So you're going to pay a 2% of the value of the property tax to the provincial government. I mean, basically, our provincial government are morons. I mean, they took these tourist-heavy, very, very tourism-heavy communities And, and told all the people from Alberta and the rest of Canada that own properties in those communities, we're going to tax the hell out of you. So don't come here. We don't want your money. Like
0: it's
1: mind boggling. So you're, as they say, you're just seeing this stupidity from every level. I mean, the foreign buyer tax, what a moronic move. If you're actually concerned about foreign ownership of property, uh, hello, we have an incredibly robust land title registry. You simply say, Mr. and Mrs. Foreign Buyer, you are only allowed to own one property, period. Not, not if you're worried about laundered money and all this kind of stuff. If that's what you're really worried about, don't say, give us 20% more of your laundered money. Right. <laughs> like, like that's what they yeah. did, right? Like, right. about being concerned about laundered money, but they're asking for more of it. The government's saying, well, you, you know, you're bringing in this, this foreign money and they call it dirty money. Which is a total misnomer. Money laundering implies, you know, drug dealers. That's what I think most people think when they hear money laundering. What they're using the term to describe are capital controls, where a country. So imagine Canada says to you, Andrew, you can't take more than fifty thousand dollars out of our country. But you look right across the border at New York, and you could buy a a studio in New York for fifty thousand dollars. Like, it's way cheaper than in right. home country. It, it, it's a right. bargain. Now, of course, everyone in New York is saying prices are insane, it's so crazy, uh, but to, to you it just looks unbelievably cheap. And you're really worried about the stability of your, your nation's government, you're worried about your children's future. Are you going to sew $50,000 into your suit and get on a plane and fly down to New York and, and park that money in a piece of real estate? Of course you are. Just about every single Canadian would do that, put in the same situation. So does that make them a criminal? Well, I guess if they're taking more than the government says they're allowed to take out of their country, that's a criminal act. The thing is, in Canada, if you arrive at the airport here and you say, yeah, I got a million dollars cash in my briefcase, but here's where it came from. I sold this property and this business, and you can show where the money came from. We let you in. Like, we don't have a law against you bringing in more than $10,000. You just have to report. It.
0: You just have to report it. Yeah, sure.
1: And tell us where it came from. So it's not, like, it's not laundered money, quote unquote, in the way that we think it is, uh, you know, as they say, that we link it to, like, crime, that kind of thing. Usually it's a lot of people trying to look out for their families, just like any one of us would do, who are coming from a country that's a little more fragile th- than ours. Although, Ours is starting to feel a little fragile. <laughs> you know, I just I yeah. think these, these rules that have come into play, and well, I mean, right. it. We, we've just had the coolest spring market in ten years, maybe twenty years. It's unbelievable. The numbers no, I, just came in. I haven't had a chance to go through them. I just yeah, yeah. briefly, but wow, like <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's unbelievable how they've, they've cooled things off. But prices are not plummeting. So there's a little bit of that question. Who's going to blink first? Are buyers going to come back or a seller is going to have to start dropping their prices? We'll see. We'll see.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting stuff here, Dustin. Um, I want to get to, uh, to this fixed versus variable debate, which you put out that great video. And basically in your video, you, you, you summarize it nicely. You say you're, you know, if you're, if you're choosing fixed over variable today, you're making two bets, and so maybe you could just explain uh, a little bit for our listeners what you, what, you're, uh, what you mean by that, these two bets that you're making and why, as you say in your video, variable is absolutely the way to go right now.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, variable, so when we use the word debate, I'll, I'll say it's as much of a debate as, uh, as, is ice cold? Yes, ice is cold. Is fire hot? Yes, fire's hot. Should you go variable? Yeah, you, you should go variable. I mean, it's, it's that cut and dry. Oh, that I'm a first time home buyer. Yeah, I was too. 18 months later, I got hit with this huge penalty that <laughs> I didn't right. see coming. Right. Um, so, so sure. I mean, the, 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 two bets conversation is basically this. Uh, if, if, if you the listener is sitting there screaming at the, 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 the podcast saying, no, fix, fix is the way to go. Okay. So, so Mr. And Mrs. sixth rate listener. What you're saying to me, you're making a bet. You're placing a bet. Anytime you put money into any kind of financial instrument, you're 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 making some kind of bet. So the bet you're making when you say, I want a five-year fixed mortgage, is that the Bank of Canada is going to increase prime to the point that you're going to have paid less interest. And unfortunately, you can almost title this, math is hard. I, I use that phrase all the time. Math is hard. And life is hectic, and people don't have time to do the actual math. So most people will say, well, if I can get a variable rate mortgage at, say, 2.75%, but I can lock into a five-year fixed at 375 So There's a sort of rough market race right now. There's obviously a little bit better rates here, here and there to be found, but we'll use that as our example. 2.75 variable versus 3.75 fixed. Most people say, well, you know, the Bank of Canada only needs to go up four times and I'll be wishing I locked in. Well, sure, if you're not doing the math, then you might feel that way. Because remember, you saved money every single month that you were at 275, 3, 35. You were saving money the whole way along. You were ahead of your neighbor that locked in on day one. Well, yeah, but when it hit 375, I'm at the same rate, sure, but you saved money. Now, the question, of course, the unknown variable is how long does it take the bank of Canada to increase prime four times? Well, I would suggest it's unlikely it will go up four times in the next five years. In my personal opinion, that's my personal opinion based on my experience, uh, you know, owning, owning properties and, and being in the market and whatnot. The thing is. Even if it goes up four times, you still won in the variable. The variable rate mortgage holder is still the winner because they've saved. And if we assume a linear set of increases, so quarter point incremental increases, and we were to assume it went up eight times in five years, you still don't win. We're even. If it went up exactly linear eight times, okay, great. We close the gap at the two-and-a-half-year mark. But at the five-year mark, I've just given back, or I'll I'll stay in the variable. So I'll have just given back the last of my savings of being in the variable for the first two and a half years. Roughly speaking, I realize there's a more detailed mathematical equation, but in, in layman's terms, this is basically what it boils down to. So the question is not, or the bet really, is not is prime going to go up four quarter point heights. And it's not, is it going to go up eight quarter point hikes? is, Is it going to go up nine hikes, 10, 11 hikes? And if it does, how much are we talking about? I mean, you need it to go up a big chunk fast. You need it to move up far fast. And that's not going to happen for all the reasons we were just talking about. I mean, the housing market is cooling off big time. And an awful lot of people don't realize just how connected their livelihood is to the housing market. So if the economy starts to contract and cool down, thanks to all of the the measures the government put in place, you're really not going to see interest rates go anywhere at all because they can't. Interest rates go up to cool an overheating economy. Well, I would suggest we are certainly not in danger of an overheating economy with the the trend that we're seeing in the real estate sector. So as I say, that's the first bet. And how much are you betting? Like if you're talking a quarter point, a half point savings over a five year term, you're got a few hundred dollars. I'll give you two grand. Maybe it's maybe it's two thousand dollars you saved. But again, in the history of mortgages, I and mean, in the recorded history of about fifty years with the race, has never been the right day to lock into a five year term. You've always won by going variable. You've always won that small bet. But here's the other thing, and it goes back to the earlier conversation around prepayment penalties. That's the other bet most Canadians do not realize they're making. So in that $400,000 example, they are pushing $18,000 out on the table. That's a lot of chips to push out on the table, and they're saying, I bet you I last five years in this mortgage. And they're betting against odds completely completely. You know, not in their favor. Two out of three people will be wrong. Like, if I'm the house, I'll take that bet all day long. Canadian banks do not make $1 billion plus every three months by accident.
0: (laughs) They are good at math. Most people are not. The banks are good at math.
1: Very, 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 yes. The banks, good at math. Us, not so much. I don't know about you, Andrew. I didn't make a billion dollars last quarter.
0: I'm almost there, but yeah, not quite. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, so should you be a shareholder of a financial institution? Of course you should, because they know how to make money. Should you be a client dealing directly with a financial institution? No, no, you should. It's like going into a courtroom and using the other guy's lawyer to represent your best interest. you want to have somebody on your side. So there's my little plug for independent mortgage brokers. There we go.
0: I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it.
1: (laughs) I didn't even intend to bring that up, really. No, of course. It flows. I mean, like realistically, you want somebody independent on your side giving you this this information that the institution isn't. So you've you've made this huge bet unknowingly because you don't even know how much the prepayment penalty is going to be because you didn't ask and they didn't tell you. But I'm telling you, you've made roughly 4.5% of your balance Uh, as a bet, and and that's about 3.75% more than if you were in the variable, that you're going to go the distance. You're going to be the one in three that's going to last the full five-year term of your mortgage. And that is just not a bet I'm willing to make. Right, right.
0: right. Absolutely, yeah. Interesting. Two out of three, statistically, two out of three uh, mortgages will break. Average break time is three years. I mean, these are very important numbers for everybody to consider when they're making that decision. Obviously, variable is, you're, you're loud and clear on the variable is the way to go. Um, what percentage of, of mortgages actually go variable versus fixed? Like, what's the latest stat on that? Well, Do you know?
1: The last time I heard a stat, it was growing. And it was, uh, I think it was 18% were in variable rate mortgages. At, at one point. I think that's the highest number I've ever heard reported. It was 18%. Uh, in my own book of business, 1,641 mortgages later, uh, it's above 90. Most years, it's about 93%. Wow. wow. And, <laughs> you
0: know, that's incredible.
1: A lot of them wound up going five-year fixed because for a few years there, the government had created this ridiculous situation uh, on qualification where you actually qualified for about 20% more mortgage money if you went five year fixed so a lot of buyers in the GTA and the GVA had no choice but to go five year fixed in order to qualify and you know we've covered a lot of ground here but maybe this is the most important takeaway like the variable, is a no-brainer. Like I said, ice cold, fire hot, mortgage variable. You know, it's, it's if, I had, if I had a, if I had a tagline, if I was advertising, it would be life is variable. Your mortgage should be too.
0: I, I like know. it. I, I like it.
1: <laughs> At least I got a document it out there. We'll have a date stamp on that one. Trademark it. You know, but you know, as I say, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's something to really keep in mind. I mean, not, not enough people do the math the end of the day right Right.
0: um interesting uh yeah you've you just given you've just summed summed it up so nicely i've been telling my clients for years variable is is the way to go for sure um i mean i've always gone variable myself as well and all my properties um And I mean, the way I try to sort of explain it in my terms to people is, is basically telling them like, look, the variable rate is the actual like true rate of money. Like it's the true cost of money. It's the truest we can get to it. Uh, it's a rate that will change from day to day. The fixed rate is you're paying a premium for the, you know, the bank is, is, uh, is is saying, okay, if you want a guaranteed rate, then you got to pay a premium for it. And we're going to make sure that, we, it's a new product. We're going to make money off of that uh, to give you that certainty. So, um, and the like, the banks are good at math, and they're going to figure out how to make more money off of you going, going that way for the for that premium than to not take that premium.
1: Yeah, you you, you pay a premium for a sense of security, for a sense of certainty. Um, but of course, and and actually, just to clarify uh, your comment about variable, I mean there's eight Bank of Canada meetings per year. So, you know, people's payments don't double overnight. Uh, They don't fluctuate wildly week to week. There's eight different preset dates where that rate may change. And then depending on the lender, the payment may or may not change. Some lenders actually offer a fixed payment for the entire term of the mortgage, but that's that's something to have a conversation with your broker about not – uh you don't need to get it out. Sure. But to sure. circle back, I, I sort of got all revved up and said, this is the most important thing I'm going to say, and then I didn't say it. Okay. So, <laughs> here's the most important thing for a lot of listeners. If if they are in a five-year fixed mortgage and they definitely – they know they stretched to, to get into the mortgage they're into – and they did that before January 1st of 2018. So maybe in the, the 2017, 2016, 2015 zone, uh, they need to understand that their mortgage, yes, it's portable, but you have to requalify to port that mortgage to a new property under today's rules. So even though you've never missed the payment, even though you've been carrying that mortgage balance just fine, you cannot move that mortgage over to another property without requalifying under today's rules. And today's rules, for a lot of people who had to go five years fixed, unless your income has gone up 20-25 percent, you are not porting that mortgage balance over. You're only going to be able to port 70 cents on the dollar to a new property. And we're already seeing that start to become a problem. You know, being-
0: Interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, They can't, they can't take the mortgage with them and they don't realize things have changed. And uh, so we've done our best to reach out to all our realtors that we work with, especially the listing agents and let them know, like, the question is not, is my mortgage portable? The question you need to ask your financial institution is, with looking at my current credit report, looking at my current income document, do I qualify under today's rules to move my mortgage? To another property, like it needs to be a really robust question with a really detailed answer. And if they aren't looking at your documents, if they're not pulling up your credit bureau, they're not giving you a real answer. They're just giving you a a made-up answer. And uh, because we have lots of instances where, well, we phoned and the bank said our mortgage is portable. Right. Right. Yeah, technically it's portable. I mean, my car goes 240 kilometers an hour. Technically, um, I probably can't get away with that. Probably won't be able to even make that happen between you know my home and my workplace it, it does it but can i do it no i can't right
0: right, right. right. So, so yeah. and it's just yeah. yeah and once again it's more friction just being added to the process of buying and selling a home and the government just basically clamping down the market and so they're they're restricting people from moving they're restricting economic activity from happening
1: well, you know, as I say, the, the, the devastation that this kind of thing causes to a family, um, I've sat with government officials and, and they they use, they love this word. They love this word. They say that's anecdotal. When you give them a real life example of a family whose life has been turned upside down, uh, you know, due to some of the, the the rules that have been created, well, that's anecdotal. I'm like, you know what? Right, right it's anecdotal until it's your sister, cousin, uncle, brother, parent.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Until it's you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Good luck with that. Um, just maybe as a, as a last point, uh, given everything we talked about in the, the mortgage market as it is today and all the intervention of the government and the new rules, what a lot of investors obviously listen to this podcast. Um, people who are buying multiple properties who either own multiple properties or planning on buying multiple properties what, what advice are you giving your uh, investor clients today and and sort of dealing with uh, you know obviously just being harder to get multiple mortgages harder to get mortgages in the first place than it was a year two years ago what what is your advice to investors looking to buy multiple properties today
1: well, I mean, I don't want to make it an infomercial for mortgage brokers, but if you're an investor, you know, 95% of investors need a broker in their life just to navigate which lenders are doing what. Uh, because if you own more than two doors, if you own more than three or four doors in particular, uh, qualifying for that third, fourth, fifth property has just gotten ridiculously difficult and it's a complete maze of policies from one lender to another like the the, the range for instance a thousand dollars worth of rental income will cover somewhere between 40 and 160 thousand dollars worth of mortgage money and, and i mean from 40 to 160 and a whole bunch of numbers in between it just depends on which lender you're talking with and that alone Is just one part of the matrix of qualifying somebody. So you get people all the time who say, but my my rentals are positive cash flow. Yeah, in real life, they're positive cash flow. But this lender uses such a restrictive form of rental calculation that you need to earn another $300,000 a year personally to cover the shortfalls, quote unquote, on your rentals. And they're like, but what shortfall? Like, I have money left over every month. Yes, I, I know, but that's, you're talking about real life and that's just silly. We don't want to talk about real life. We got to look at it through the bank's lens. And, uh, you know, and of course I'm joking when I say that silly. Like, I mean, the whole thing is, is, is very complicated and logic has left the room. Like it's,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, logic,
1: logic is not a, logic's a four letter word. It basically seems like, um, so for the, for the investor, you certainly aren't going to run out there and just write offers on things. Uh, you're going to have long conversations with your, your financing uh, person and make sure that you're actually going to be able to get where you want to get uh, things done. And you're be prepared to pay a higher interest rate. It may only be a quarter or a half a point higher rate, uh, but it may be a full two percentage points higher. And do the math and make sure that this property is going to make sense at that type of interest rate. And you may not be able to buy with 20% down on an investment property anymore. You may have to go 25, 30, 35%. Uh, again, depending on which lender you're actually going to be able to qualify to buy that next property through. So, getting a handle on on the math of that and understanding what your cost of mortgage money is really going to be, because uh, it, it's no longer what it was. It, it's no longer as low, and it's long, no longer as easy as it was. And then, as far as going out there and buying in the market, you know, I don't care what the market's doing. Whether the market's going up or down, what I care about is can I rent this property out, and will it have a positive cash flow? If the answer is yes and yes, then I'm going to buy that property. You know, I mean, again, I'm I'm in a market with below one percent vacancy rate. That vacancy rate isn't changing. When's the last time you saw a headline in a newspaper that said, watch out for the bubble in rent? Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Nobody's rent is going down. Right. So, as I say, if I know that the rent is going to cover the cost, I'm good. And, uh, and believe it or not, you can still find positive cash flow properties in the greater Vancouver area, in the greater Toronto area. They do exist. They are there. They're not easy to find. Um, But but they're out there. And, you know, the reason I say I'm not really worried about where the market's going one way or the other is because the sooner I have a tenant paying off that property, the sooner I win. And and by win, I mean, 25 years down the road, the property is paid off. It's it's just flowing cash into my life. It's my long term retirement program. Oh, but what if the market goes down 50 percent? So what? You know, as long as my tenant is paying the mortgage on it, I, I want to have millions of dollars of mortgage debt that somebody else is paying off for me. Because at exactly. the, because at the end of the day, it means I will own millions of dollars worth of real estate that somebody mm-hmm. else bought me, and and it's looking down at the end goal, way way down the road, 25, 30 years down the road, and and not losing sight of what that goal is. You will not find anyone who is happy they sold a property five years ago. You cannot find anyone who is happy they sold a property 10 years ago. Are there people who are happy they sold last year? Of course. Talk to them in five or 10 years. Talk to them in 20 years. Talk to them in 30 years when that property would be free and clear, fully paid off by strangers. They definitely will not be happy they sold that property. You buy and you buy some more, buy and refi, right? <laughs> they just <laughs> yeah, and buy another one,
0: Re- Re- refi until you die.
1: Exactly. you <laughs> keep on keep on going?
0: I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. No, it's you. You've said it perfectly.
1: Yeah. And even if the value is down by fifty percent, what do I care? I didn't pay it. I paid nothing for it. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll have gotten my down payment back. Out of the positive cash flow, so I literally will have no money invested in these properties, even if they're worth zero. I'm still laughing because I'm getting paid rent every month. So, yep. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm people,
0: people overcomplicate it, don't they? We people overcomplicate it and they think too short term, and they just continue, as you said, you just keep losing if you're thinking short term, and if you're you don't, and if you're bad at math, you're just going to keep losing.
1: Well, not it. So we're. All- about at math. I mean, I'm bad at math. I'm just really good with mortgage numbers and property numbers because that's what I work with all day every day for years and years and I'm really interested in it. So I've got a pretty good handle on those numbers. But you know, there's there's whole other section. I mean, I was talking to my plumber plumber the other day and uh, he can he can calculate the volume of a cylinder. I cannot calculate the volume of a cylinder. Right. I mean, he knows what the flow dynamics of a certain pipe, depending on the inside diameter, outside diameter, wall thickness. Like he's got all this math around pipe and flow uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that I couldn't touch. Like he sounds like a next level genius when he starts talking about it. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and then, of course, he calls himself just another dumb plumber. Right. OK. I'm, I'm just another dumb broker. And like all of us have unique math skills related to what we do. Right? I mean, when you're when you're serving as a, a teenager into your 20s, it's one of the one of the first best jobs I think most of us ever have is, is serving in a, in a restaurant. I mean, you learn the math around money and percentages really quick. Like, did they tip me 10, 15, 20 and, percent? And you right. know what that dollar amount is. So you learn that math and you get reasonably good with that math around money. But only that one little specific segment. That's. That's just
0: the nature of life, right? hmm mm-hmm. Well, that's why this podcast exists, and that's why I love t- talking to people like you, Dustin, just to help get this message out to more people and help people understand mortgages, help people understand money, help people understand how to, you know, especially make money investing in real estate. You've given us some great food for thought to think about here today. Um, if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about you, what's the best place for people to do that?
1: Uh, Google.
0: Google, okay. Okay. Du- Google Dustin Woodhouse. But Do you want to drop a phone number or an email if people want to just hit you up directly?
1: I don't, I don't want to make it that easy. If you really want to ask me something... Google
0: okay. <laughs> uh, That's a, not, it, was,
1: it was funny. Yesterday I had somebody in a comment section type this big long sentence asking for my email address. And I said to them, that is more characters than if you just typed my name and email into Google. Like, it took them longer to type the question.
0: Right, right.
1: So just go to Google. Type the name, email, boom, there it is. So I I purposely make it a little bit difficult. I I actually only work with pre-existing clients or referrals of pre-existing clients. I I don't work with people. I do a number of different podcasts uh, through the course of the year, maybe two or three. I shouldn't say a number. The the number is two or three. And invariably, I do get some inquiries. um, But as I say, I, I only work with past clients or referrals from those past clients. Um, but I'm always happy to answer questions, and uh, I'm sure someone's going to take me to task on, well, there's two out of three breaking in three years. I can't find any evidence of that on the Internet. No, you can't. Uh, you kind of have to be an industry insider. You kind of have to know some VPs in the mortgage uh, division of a, one of the lenders and have a conversation with them, and they'll tell you that's what the numbers are, and they're common with all lenders. So so there's one piece I'll head off because there's always okay. – <laughs> But <laughs> you know, I can't prove yeah. proof of this. Well, right, right. This. You know, I, I'm living proof myself, so. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. People either believe you or they don't. Um, well, Dustin, it's been great having you on, uh, and if people want to find you, they will Google Dustin Woodhouse. Go ahead and do that if you want to reach out to Dustin. Appreciate your time, appreciate your insights, and, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you on the show again soon.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed it, Andrew. Thank you for reaching out. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Great. Thanks, Dustin. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True
1: Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.